0: Welcome to Parenting Great Kids. Let me ask you a question. Does your child frequently make derogatory comments about himself? Have you ever tried to tell him to stop doing this but got nowhere? Then this podcast is for you. My guest is John Acuff, the New York Times bestselling author and author of the brand new book, Your New Playlist. The Student's Guide to Tapping into the Superpower of the Mindset. Today, John's going to show parents how to help reverse these negative tapes in our kids' minds. John is fun, articulate, and knows how kids think. And his new book also includes contributions by his two daughters. John Acuff is the New York Times best-selling author of seven books, including his most recent, Soundtracks. The Surprising Solution to Overthinking. Published in more than 20 languages, his work is both critically acclaimed and adored by readers. When he's not writing, John can be found on a stage as one of Ink's top 100 leadership speakers. He's spoken to hundreds of thousands of people at conferences, colleges, and companies around the world, including FedEx, Nissan, Microsoft, Lockheed Martin, Chick-fil-A, Nokia, and many more. Known for his insights wrapped in humor, Acuff shared the stage with an American icon, when he opened up for Dolly Parton at the Ryman Auditorium. For over 20 years, he's also helped some of the biggest brands tell their stories, including the Home Depot and Staples. His fresh perspective on life has given him the opportunity to write for Reader's Digest, Fast Company, the Harvard Business Review, and Time Magazine. Well, if that is an intimidating list to someone like me, I don't know what is. Let's dive into the interview with my good friend, John Acuff. Well, John, I've been so looking forward to having you on my podcast. You're an awesome author. I respect you a lot. And today we're going to be talking about your new playlist, The Student's Guide to Tapping into the Superpower of the Mindset. So thanks for joining me.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me, uh, Dr. Meg. It's really fun to see you again. It's been about
0: 10 years since we last connected. It is. It has. And it's kind of funny. Sometimes authors and speakers run in parallel tracks. And you know, people think, oh, well, you know each other so well. Well, we kind of do, but we, we run in parallel tracks, so. Yeah,
1: yeah, or you're at the same event, but you're not at the same day. And so then you, exactly. you completely yeah. miss each other that way. So yeah, it's always fun when we're able to connect on podcasts.
0: It is, it is. So you have done a lot since uh, we last spoke and you have a brand new book coming out, your new playlist, The Student's Guide to Tapping Into the Superpower of the Mindset. What's the premise of the book and why is it important?
1: So the, the origin of it was, I wrote a book called Soundtracks about overthinking. So we did a big study about overthinking and realized everybody does it. And that was, the study was before the pandemic. The pandemic was catnip for overthinking. If you weren't overthinking before, you are now. And so we wrote this book about called Soundtracks where a soundtrack is a phrase for a repetitive thought and how the repetitive mm-hmm. thoughts you listen to become part of your personal playlist. And the book came out, and I've written seven books, but it was the first one that parents said immediately hey, do you have a version for teens? Do you have a version for teens? Because they'd say, if I could have learned how to change my mindset and choose my thoughts as a teenager, it would have changed the whole arc of my life. Mm. Nobody teaches kids how to think. I never had a class in the eighth grade that said high school's coming up. Your mindset, your, your thoughts turn into actions, your actions turn into results. So let's work on that. And so I started to see that everywhere, that teenagers with broken soundtracks. And then I remembered 10 years ago, I spoke at Beach camps for high schoolers, and I would ask them, What are your thoughts? What are your internal thoughts? And they'd write them down on note cards and they'd turn them in anonymously. And I had, I had a box on my shelf that I'd set on for a decade, not knowing what, you know, was I going to do something with it. I realized, I have thousands and thousands of real soundtracks from real teens across the country. And so I realized, okay, this is a book that needs to happen, but it needs to happen with my teenagers writing it. I have two teenage daughters, because if I wrote it, it would sound like an adult trying to sound cool, like, hello, fellow youths. Like, don't mean to be so (laughs) lit. Oh, I'm savage. So that's how the book came about.
0: Yeah. So the wrong thoughts and the wrong soundtrack in a kid's head develop a sense of who they are, and they start to believe that. So what are the most common bad thoughts or wrong thoughts that teenagers have in their minds today? Well, the number one word on more of those
1: cards than any other, so thousands of cards, we went through them, looked for patterns, the number one most common repeated word was the word enough. I'm not pretty enough, I'm not smart enough, I'm not talented enough, I'm not popular enough, and that was the most common word and what's interesting is I'm I'm 46 and so I'm I'm usually talking to CEOs and executives and I'll meet successful people in their 40s that don't feel like they have enough success and they go the next promotion will be enough and so you can pull this thread and you can see where it starts as an adolescent and so by the time they're 45 they've listened to that soundtrack that they're not enough for three decades so then you mm-hmm. go what would happen if you learned you know one of the soundtracks we teach is enough is a myth Enough is a myth. If you say, if I get 50 likes on this photo, then I'll feel enough. Well, guess what happens when you get 50? You go, well, 100 would have been even better. Or if I get invited to homecoming, that'll be enough. And then you go, but prom would be even better. You're always moving the line. So I would say the most common is that sense of there isn't enough and I can do something to get to that enough. And when I do it, I'll know I'm enough and there's no such thing.
0: So it isn't enough of just one thing. As I'm thinking about the teenage kids in my practice, you know, girls will say, I'm not thin enough, or I'm not popular enough, or I don't get, you know, good enough grades. You're absolutely right. Now I'm gonna poke the bear a little bit. because I know there's a lot of parents listening out there where do these thoughts come from? Where does this sense that I'm not doing enough or being enough come from? Is it all from what kids are exposed to at school and in our culture or does it come other places? I think it comes
1: from a variety of places. I mean, I think sometimes there are temperaments that are more given to that. Um, I, you know, I have, well, as soon as you have two kids, you realize, oh, they came to the planet with personalities and brains because they're yeah. raised in the same home and they're opposite and they see the same situation with different lenses. So I think some of it can be temperament, but I think it can come from um, teachers. I think it can come from parents. I think it can come from coaches. I'll, again, I'll meet older people that'll say, I'm not a natural leader. So they're 33 and their company's going, We think you're a leader. And if you pull the thread, uh, a teacher in eighth grade said, you're not a good natural leader. Don't lead the group. And they believed that because there's a person in a position of authority. And they've listened to that again and again and again. Sometimes it's the media. Sometimes it's I mean, you can there's so many studies about what social media does to a little heart. So I would say it's never just one place. It's usually Mm -hmm. a cornucopia of places. And it can be a passing comment that they turn into a thing. Because mm-hmm. they, you know, they over overemphasize it, or it's from somebody they care about, and so yeah, it's. I don't think it's ever just one place because mm-hmm. I think that we're we're taking input from thousands of places as we grow up, and so it's it's usually a, a big collection of places.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, of course, my bias has been that I I'm always interacting with teens, our kids, and their parents, mm-hmm. and I see how sensitive kids are to what their parents say, to their facial expressions, to their tone of voice, and it's often very easy for kids to misread a parent and so I constantly like to tell parents to be very aware of what you're communicating to your child and is that what you want to communicate for instance I'll ask kids who love them and they'll say things well my mom and dad have to love me but I'm not really sure and so so there's that kind of miscommunication going where parents do love their kids but their kids aren't picking up on it so let
1: so let me just jump jump in I think what's interesting I saw a parent the kid said, hey, mom. And the mom said, what's wrong? And that was a really interesting interchange because she was teaching her something must be wrong. Something's Instead of going... What do you need? Hey, what's up? What's going on? She immediately said, what's wrong? As if you know, there's problems afoot and the, there was nothing wrong with the kid, but now the kid is being taught. If I call my mom, her first response is gonna be like, what's wrong? What's the problem? There must be an emergency. And I think little things like that we do as parents establish often accidentally negative, broken soundtracks in our home versus going, yeah, what's going on? What Versus mm-hmm. saying, what's wrong? What's wrong? What's wrong? So I think it can be so subtle sometimes.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And negative expectations. You know, if if a parent feels sorry for a child or they're worried about a child they're waiting for something bad to happen and that's communicated to the child in the same way it's what's wrong mm-hmm. um and the child starts to feel like gee was my parent really thinks something bad is bad is gonna happen or i can't this or i can't that and the parent would say no that's not true but the child's picking up on that in the tone of voice or the words so you talk in your book about spotting bad soundtracks mm-hmm. so when you're working with a child, say you've got a 10 or a 13 year old child, how do you recognize negative messages? And then how do you get the child to recognize the negative messages?
1: Well, so as a parent, um, one easy way is to listen for absolutes. So, you know, we at a swim meet, a girl got out of the pool, said to her mom, I'm the slowest swimmer on the team, I'll never get better. Everyone is better than me. Those are full of absolutes. So as a parent, if your kid says, I'll never get better at geometry. Everyone has the new iPhone except me. All my friends got invited to the party except me, listening for some absolutes to go, wait a second. Let's pause on that for a second. So that's one really easy, specific way. But what we teach in the book is to ask three really simple questions. And the first question is, is it true? Is the thing you're telling yourself about yourself true? So you just made a statement. Is it true? The second question is, is it helpful? Is it helpful for you to say that? And the reason you ask more than one question is some things in life are true, but they're not helpful. So one of the stories we talk about with my younger daughter, she got a 42 on a geometry test and that was true that happened and so the next time she went to take the next test she had this broken soundtrack of i'm going to get another 42 i'm going to get another 42 another 42. that's true she got one it's not helpful for her to tell herself that a hundred times the night before and we said if a friend of yours texted you a hundred times the night before and texted you a hundred times you're going to get another 42 you're going to get another 42 that's a monster not a friend so if you wouldn't let a friend do that to you and then the third question is is it kind is the thing I'm saying to myself kind. And if you can't answer yes to those three questions, it's often an indication that it's a broken soundtrack. So, But the mm-hmm. third thing I'd say, there's a really simple exercise that you can do with kids and it's, and it's all you do is say, name something you wanna do, name something you wanna accomplish, name a goal you're curious about, doesn't have to be massive, can be anything, name a goal and then listen to your first thoughts. So write it down. I want to you know, make the soccer team. I want to get into college. I want to you know, get asked to the prom, whatever the goal is. And then listen to your first thoughts. Are they positive? Do they encourage you? Or are they negative? Do they say, who are you to do that? You're going to mess that up again. Nobody in your family is capable of that. Because every reaction is an education. So you listen to the reaction to, to a hope to figure out, OK, is it the kind of reaction I want? Those are three different ways you can identify them.
0: So when you talk about, is it true, we understand that, is it helpful, is it kind, you're referring, is it kind to the person thinking the thought, right? Is it kind to myself to think that, Mm -hmm. not is it kind to other people?
1: No, is it kind to yourself to think that, and I mean a simple, if I'd said this to a friend, would they still want to be my friend? so if you talk the way you talk to yourself to other people you probably not have any friends because i mean Mm -hmm. even for me writing this book over the last couple years i was surprised how many of my own sentences ended with you idiot like the punctuation for some of my internal thoughts were you idiot i had to go wait a second why am I, why am I okay? Like, that's not a good form of motivation. That's, that's a broken (laughs) form of motivation of like, get your act together. But so many Mm -hmm. people, if you actually ask them to pull apart their thoughts and pause for a second, you realize they've got a negative form of motivation driving them and it's not a good long-term sustainable. So that's what we mean by, is it kind? Is it kind Mm -hmm. to you as you say it again and again and again?
0: Yeah, you're absolutely right. And I think that as you know, we're talking to parents about their kids and how to help their kids. But again, we all struggle with this. And I think that's what you you wrote about in soundtracks Mm -hmm. is that, you know, no matter who you are, what you've done, what you've accomplished, we're all at some point saying to ourselves, oh, you're an idiot. Mine is (laughs) that I say to mine, there's just no way. You know, (laughs) I'll think, oh, oh, I got to do this. There's just no way. And I've literally sat in front of empty pages, getting ready to write a book. You know how hard that is, 250, 300 pages. Literally thinking to myself, and I've been hired to do this, there's no way. I mean, yeah. I just have nothing to say. Yeah. You know what? You got away with it the first time, but this time it is not going to work. It's completely different. You you coach you, it, yeah, yeah. I have a different mind. I'm yeah. a different person. Yeah. I have a different yeah. perspective. You got lucky it, the first time. Like this is not yeah. Yeah, it's exactly. Not gonna happen. You caught a star. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, oh. not going to happen. And yep. and I and I find if I'm I'm thinking those things to myself, I mean, it's really self-sabotage. But if we're doing yeah. that to ourselves, are we spilling that onto our kids? Not are they going to be enough, or can they, you know, not do it? But this sense that they should think the same way. For instance, I have a grown daughter who's now cooking for her kids, and she said she made the comment before she put dinner down on the table. She goes, I, you know, I'm I'm sorry, guys. You know, I I could have done a better job, but and I said that's yeah. a really odd thing to say. You just gave your kids a beautiful dinner. Why would you say yeah. that? And she said, yeah. ouch, mom, that's what you used to say before you gave all of us. Dinner. Uh, so, uh, yeah. you know, these soundtracks yeah. do get incorporated into your kids and because they relive a lot of, you know, what they've learned from you when they become adults. So be very, very careful. So you're talking about replacing bad thoughts with healthy thoughts, kind thoughts, Mm -hmm. positive thoughts. And I think that works. In order to replace a negative thought with a positive one, there's gotta be a sense where you have to get rid of that old one, get rid of that negative. And sometimes that's really hard to do. It's almost like you need to take a knife and carve it out of there because Mm -hmm. it's so ingrained, it's so embedded in your brain that it's, it's hard to make a good thought make it you know push it over what do you say to kids about that is disbelieving lies you're told and embracing the truth that you know is right yeah so
1: i'd say it is a process um it is a process we we say you retire broken soundtracks you replace them with new ones you repeat the new ones so often they become as automatic as the old ones so the repeat Mm -hmm. matters because what was interesting was 48 hours after the soundtracks book for adults came out People would DM me or email me and say, "Hey, John, I replace, I retired some broken ones. I replaced some new ones that are not working." And I would say. Well, the books only existed for 48 hours, so I know you haven't had enough time. And it's the same thing people say to me, John, this exercise program isn't working. I'll go, well, how long did you do it? They'll say 10 days. They'll say, how long did it take you to gain the weight? They'll say 10 years. So you gave the problem 10 years to develop and the solution 10 days? Talk about being unkind to yourself. And so what I'd say is it is a process. Now, what I'd say for students, though, is it's less of a process than when you're 20 or 30 or 40 or 50. Like Because you might've listened to that soundtrack for, for a year, for two years, for three years. But when I talked to, I was on another podcast with a guy named Steven Scoggins and he said, my dad used to say, Scoggins don't get ahead, Scoggins get by. Scoggins don't get ahead, Scoggins get by. He heard that as a little boy for 18 years. And then as a 30 year old, a 40 year old, he had a lot of unlearning to do. So my hope is that, okay, you know, if somebody had said, you know, when I had a third grade teacher say to me, John, I think you're a writer. Like, I think you're a writer. That let, like that changed my thought of I'm not a writer. Like, oh, I, I I might be a writer. So I do think it's easier to some degree when you're a teen just because there's been less time for that soundtrack to calcify over the years and years and years and years. But then I'd also say to, to students... It's okay that it takes time and you might not believe it at first. That's the other thing. You might not believe it. I I always say fear comes free. Hope takes work. Fear will find you. You never have to go look for fear. Fear will find you hope and positivity. Take a lot of work. I'm not a naturally positive person. I'm naturally very pessimistic. I have to work very hard at positivity and I work at it because I've seen the benefits. I've seen the cost of negativity, and I've seen the benefits of positivity. So even on the days when I don't naturally feel it, I choose it. Even on the days where I don't roll out of bed full of sunshine, I say, okay, well, I'm gonna work on the things that matter to me. I'm gonna lean into it. So my hope is that with, with students in the same way that if you played soccer and it's your junior year of high school and you remember the first time you got on that field and you were six and nobody knew the rules and it was just this swarm of kids kicking each other down the field and the score is like 42 to 12, you got better at soccer over time. And your mm-hmm. thoughts and your mindset are the same process. It sometimes takes time, but it's worth the effort.
0: And I think you're absolutely right. It's, it's hard to get that through to kids who are naturally very impatient And our culture sort of trains them to be impatient. You know, you you want what you want now and you don't want to wait for anything. So I think that makes the whole process a little bit harder, but very, very doable. Well, parents, I hope you're enjoying this conversation with John Acuff. We need to take a quick break, but do not go anywhere. I'll be right back with more of my conversation. Welcome back to Parenting Great Kids. My guest today is John Acuff. So you talk at a time in your book where you say, be brave enough to be bad at something. Now, most parents would read that and go, no, 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 not for my kid. Explain what you mean by that. Well, yeah. I mean, so the last part is be brave enough to be bad at something
1: new. You shouldn't be amazing at things you've never done. And I say that to parents or students. Every parent that told me during the pandemic, I'm the worst at virtual school, I'm the worst at virtual school, I would say, you should be. You've never done it. Do you know the hardest time to learn something new? During a global pandemic, you probably suck at hang gliding. If you've never gone hang gliding, you should be terrible at that. So that's the line is that, okay, if you've never tried it, you should be brave enough to be bad at something new because we have this expectation of excellence before we've even learned the thing. And that's very, that was one of the most surprising things in the research was how many students felt it was too late. Even at Mm. 10, 12, 11, 13, it was already too late. My own daughter told us during this process, and that was part of the joy of writing this book with them, is that I got to learn about them. She said, when I was nine and you guys had me sign up for the swim team, I felt it was too late because everybody there had been doing it since they were five. We have this culture where if you're not on travel soccer in the womb, you're too late. And so... That's what that one's about is it's going to be new. Um, as my daughter goes to college, she said on other, we've done a couple podcast interviews. She said, I'm not going to be amazing at my first semester of college because I've never done college before. I shouldn't go into college going, you should crush I, I've never mm-hmm. lived on my own. I've never run my own meal plan. I've never been in charge of my own schedule. Like that's going to take some learning. And then she said, but everybody else here is new too. If I live mm-hmm. in a freshman dorm, we're all new. So that's that tension is it's not telling kids be bad at something. It's saying be brave when it's especially when it's new. If you've never done sixth grade and you just joined a middle school, you, it's going to take some bravery. Same with same with freshman year or high school. So that's the goal of that particular soundtrack.
0: Mm-hmm. And I think it's important for us parents to encourage kids in that way it seems antithetical as a parent to say to your child, you know what, now you may not do well at first, but it's okay, that's what you should expect. I think most parents see their child go into something new and go, you know, you got this, you're so good, you're much better to everybody out there. And that can do some harm as well. So talk about when kids get tapes in their head Mm -hmm. that are very unrealistic. For instance, you know, my parents say I can be a concert pianist, a concert pianist, but I don't, you know, but the kid really can't. And there's some parents that do that. So talk about putting the wrong, positive, well-intentioned messages into a child's head. Well, I just think that kids are smarter than we
1: give them credit for. So a Mm -hmm. kid runs the numbers often. If you go, we think you can be a National Merit Scholar, they go, well, I'm not in the top 10% 10% of my class. I'm not, I, I take two APs, but not all APs. I don't know a single national merit scholar. So they that's cognitive dissonance. Like when a parent says, here's this crazy thing, and the kid knows, I guess I'll be the the bearer of reality, or I feel like a failure. So I just think that often like that's not helpful to the kid. It's not I, you know, I get lumped in with self-help a lot of times, and, and that's yeah. completely understandable because I write books about being better but I don't believe in a lot of toxic positivity. I don't believe in a lot of you can be anything you want. There was no shot, no shot at me being in the NBA, no shot. There's been seven people, my height in the history of the entire NBA. And they all had nicknames like Muggsy and Spud. Dr. Meg, there was no positive attitude. There was no drills with my dad in the backyard. That's not failure. So I don't tell kids you can be anything you want. I say, you can be the best you. And that's mm-hmm. amazing. So let's figure that out. And so that's the tension for parents is that I think kids are smarter. They see through nonsense so fast. They want to trust their parents. You think you're being encouraging, but you're actually, in my opinion, deteriorating some of the trust if they can go, but I'm not the best person on the team. Like I don't throw a hundred mile per hour fastball. I throw like a 65 mile per hour. And like, there's a big gap between those two things. Every baseball player is 6'4", I'm 5'7", dad, I'm going to try my best. Try my best is a cliche, but it's also true. Like that's the Mm -hmm. tension for parents is that I want our kids to feel like they can be the best versions of themselves, but not a fake version of performance or perfection that I put on them because I don't understand how to encourage them or be
0: positive. Mm-hmm. You know, talk about cliches, and one thing that isn't true is how often I hear parents say, "Well, I really want my child to play soccer just for fun, and I want them to have fun." Yeah. And yet, you see that same parent every single game and practice screaming from the sidelines. So, what oh, yeah. is the child? The message yeah, the child is fun. getting? it's not fun. No, this is no. not fun, and and this is really not for fun. So, yeah. you're you're kind of lying to me, yeah. Uh, yeah. mom and dad. One thing I, I wanted to think about because I think a lot of the tapes in our heads and in kids has have to do with performance and things that we do. Mm-hmm. But there are kids out there who have tremendous value, who can't perform well. Yeah. Do you ever talk to kids about replacing tapes about performance with replacing tapes about character? Like, You know, I think of a child who's disabled, or I think of a child with Down syndrome. Um, They have a perspective of their lives, but they can't do what other people do. So, and and you know, they have negative thoughts and you want to put positive thoughts in. So do you ever encourage parents to reinforce thoughts in their kids about the character strengths they have? Yeah. Well, and part of
1: it too, is you step back and say, it's a personal playlist so it's not somebody else's playlist. So the playlist is for me and my abilities Mm -hmm. and my strengths and what I'm good at and what I care about and my, you know, my uniqueness, my disabilities, whatever. So I think the first thing is, okay, it's about a personal playlist. It's not somebody else's. It's not, I'm not trying to have my kids think the same way I think. Um, I'm not mm-hmm. trying to, you know, have them be exactly like I look at the world. Um, we always joke, we've got, uh, there's three firstborns in the house. And then McCray, my youngest daughter, she's the <laughs> only one who's not a firstborn. So she looks at a lot of things differently. Her sisters are firstborn. I'm a firstborn Her mom's a firstborn. So I think a big part of it is allowing the kid to look at the world through their own strengths, through their own weaknesses, through their own, you know, hopes, um, and fears so that's the first thing i say and then i mean i would say the whole the whole message is about character so truth like is it true learning to speak the truth to yourself because then it gets a whole lot easier to speak it to other people learning to be helpful helpful to myself but then i get to be like helpful to other people because what you find is as parents what's been so fun about the soundtracks book is you get it immediately it's such a simple concept so that when I teach it to a team, the CEO the next day will say, hey, we're in a sales meeting and somebody said something about their abilities and somebody else said, hey man, I think that might be a broken soundtrack. And so you see the people start to use the language. And I think you're gonna see that in families too, where my hope is that a parent reads the book and then get some questions to ask their kids, get some insight. I mean, the reality is, if there wasn't a teen that read the book but the parent got questions and invited them into the conversation and got and gave the kids some tools for the road ahead, mm-hmm. that's a huge win. Like I'm not so mm-hmm. optimistic like oh if there's anything kids love reading it's books about mindset. Like I know teenagers, like there there's mm-hmm. a lot of there's not a lot of them at my pool who are like this is a self-help book I'm trying to get better, but I really think it's going to give parents a chance to invite their kids into this topic. And yeah, I think the entire conversation is about character, because I think a lot of your character comes from how you think about the world. So if you learn to think, I'm going to be generous, like I have generous thoughts for myself and other people, then it's easier to be generous because your actions are driven by your thoughts. So I think you can attach any form of character to it in a really interesting way.
0: Yeah, I agree. And I agree with you, too, that it's a parenting book. I mean, it's a book that would be great for teenagers to read, but you and I know, you know, the teenagers don't always read a lot of books. They should, they listen. But if a parent reads it and gets some skills and can get into the brain of their kid, Mm -hmm. then they can begin to see what's going on in the brain and they can begin to sort of divert those negative thoughts or say. Wait a minute. That didn't sound quite right. Would you repeat that for me? And, and is it just ask those those same three questions? Um, you know, one of the most empowering things for me, if you will, that somebody, a pastor, said many many years ago, is that if something's worth doing, it's worth doing poorly. Mm-hmm. And I thought, oh, that is just not right. But then I understood what he was saying. If something is a good and positive thing to do, start it. If you stumble and you fall, oh well, you're trying your best you can to do something that's very important. And that's really how I had the self-confidence to begin to write because I thought, I'm gonna go ahead and I'm gonna say some things and when somebody better comes along, I'm happy to be bumped out of the way because this is an important thing to do. And I think what you're talking about in replacing all of those tapes, is really freeing your child up to see the world in a very different light and to see themselves in a very different light. And I think that's crucial if kids in this culture which are pummeling them with so many destructive messages You know girls always tell me when i say you know what are the biggest pressures you face and they always say um i'm not thin enough and i'm not sexy enough well you know that's very very sad but i think that you're really giving kids and parents the ability to change the trajectory of their lives
1: yeah it's a crazy superpower i use the word superpower but i actually mean it because when you it took me decades to learn wait a second i get to choose my thoughts i don't just have Mm -hmm. to chance them i i don't like you know like there's something i can work on it's it's something i can be deliberate about um so for me i think there's going to be a lot of parents that are surprised where it challenges them because even if you said to your student hey i read this book and it, it challenged me about a broken soundtrack i say like one of the things i say to parents so like my wife um one day said, "Hey, every time you leave on a business trip, you do this big long like shameful, I'm so sorry I have to leave. I'll be back in 3 sleeps." Like and she said, "Our kids don't even know to be sad. You're teaching them to be sad because you feel guilt and you're asking them to hold it." And that's not that's not helpful. So she said, "We're going to change that. We're proud of you for doing work that matters. We love that you provide for our family. So when you leave, it's a celebration. It's not a failure." And and the flip side of that is Parents spend 18 years demonizing work to their kids and then are surprised when they graduate from college, they don't want to get a job. Well, of course not. You told them work was a terrible place that took you away from family and you hated it. And then you go, so weird, they don't want to join the job market. Not really. You gave them 18 years. So even just the the check in your heart of going, how am I talking about work when I get home? What am I teaching? Like, what are the soundtracks I'm putting into this family? How could I change them? So I think a lot of parents will read it for their students, but will get something out of it for themselves.
0: I'm I'm already changing, John, (laughs) as we have this conversation, thinking about the tapes in my own mind. And I would say, you know, I'm a worrier. I'm a worrier about my kids. And I'll never forget when my son was 18 and he was he was the baby, uh, three daughters and, and our son, and he looked down at me and he said, mom, stop talking to me as though something's wrong with me. And I started and I thought, oh my gosh, I have communicated to him that there was something wrong, something bad was going to happen, and he lived with that. And it, it, it really stunned me, but it was a fabulous learning time for me because I found that my worry created all these bad scenarios that he was going to get into. And it was kind of like, you know, you're going to go out the door now. You know, don't drive too fast. Don't let anybody bully you. Don't let anybody say any bad to you. You know, if a girlfriend this or a girlfriend. So I was really setting him up to worry. And you're, you're absolutely right. I caused him to carry my worry and that changed the way he thought. So it really, our thoughts have a huge impact on not just ourselves, but on people around us.
1: Yeah. I mean, there are, you know, there's so many studies about the people you spend time with impact, how you look at the world, how you think about the world. And so, yeah, I think that, and and families have soundtracks. So there's individual soundtracks, but there's family soundtracks too, um, where, you know, and like one of ours that we try to be deliberate about it's small but it it matters to us is we don't show up hungry that's something we say as our family we don't show up hungry what does that mean it means when we go on a road trip if we're staying at somebody's house we'll eat an hour before we get there because we don't come in as a hot mess and go and we expect you to feed us dinner so it's a micro Mm -hmm. soundtrack for a macro Mm -hmm. principle of we put others first. We care about others' needs. And so stopping at a Wendy's an hour before you get somewhere might not seem like a big deal. But for us as our kids, like we've told them that for years. I I tell parents all the time, if you want a kind 16 year old, teach a six year old kindness and give them 10 years to practice. And so, what does it look like at two, at three, at four, at five to go, we're practicing this. Like, here's the thing. You asked about character, we're practicing this versus going, yeah, it's weird. My seven, like, it's hard to introduce the word no to a 17 year old boy. Like that's a tough, if you're saving it till then, that's a tough, that's a steep hill. It's not going to work. Not Mm going to work. You want to introduce that earlier. So I think there's so many thoughts, there's soundtracks, there's there's family soundtracks that I think if we can engage in them and we can actually take ownership of them. And again, that's the power of a parent saying, Hey, I've been saying this thing and it's not helpful. Like it's, Mm -hmm. it's not helpful, you know, to, to our family. So let's, I want to work on some new soundtracks together. I think that could be Mm -hmm. a really interesting experience.
0: You know, as I think about the kids who are troubled or, you know, having depression, anxiety, eating disorders, whatever that I see, at the root of it are a lot of bad soundtracks. And I'm realizing, you know, what, what part of their healing and the recovery is choosing a different soundtrack. And it, it can make the difference between depression and ha- having depression, not having depression, just these exercises. And we know now that since COVID, We've had depression and anxiety go through the roof for kids, yeah. even very young kids, and that's been a real tough challenge for those of us who are practicing primary care. We only have a couple minutes left, John. Um, wow, I want to keep this going just so I can learn somewhere about me because I'm most so selfish. No, I'm not. Um, anyway, couple of you know, two or three of the most important takeaways that you want parents to know as they go through this book, you know, what are the nuggets that they're gonna to learn to do um, practically with their kids?
1: Yeah, so I mean, I, I think the first thing I'd say is um, don't try to fix it, have a conversation. It's so tempting as a parent to wanna to fix things. And so don't try to force a fix, have a conversation. I hope it's a conversation starter. I think one of the worst things we do as parents is try to fix a problem in our own life by working on it in our kid's life. Instead of dealing with our own stuff, we overpressure our kids. So if we have if we have three kids and one's a worrier, we highlight that. We don't do any of the work ourselves, so we're the worrier. So I would say be patient if stuff comes up. If you notice, you know, there's stuff in your own life that you want to fix. Be true, helpful, and kind with yourself too as a parent. Um, so that that'd be the first thing I'd say. Um, and yeah, and and I really do like the exercise of what's something. What's something you care about? What's a goal? What's a? And the other thing I would say is give it time. I think that often it's so tempting as parents to force quality time on normal moments, and it's like jumping levels of conversation. And I, you know, I've done it a million times with my own kids. And the more the older I get, and the more comfortable in my own skin I get as a father, I'm able to. Like I know that if I throw Frisbee with my oldest daughter 20 times in the street, one of those times, like she's going to tell me something that I was really surprised by or was yeah. really honest. But if the first time I go out and go, hey, I really want to have a heart to heart. She goes, I just wanted to throw the Frisbee. Like you've made this like a, a father, son, daughter, father, daughter moment. It's awkward. So I would say give it time. It's like anything else you do as a parent. Like I think it needs time
0: such incredible wisdom and insight and you know practical helps for a lot of parents the book is your new playlist the student's guide to tapping into the super power of mindset it's a book for kids and teenagers but it's really a book for adults and so every parent needs to read it if you really want to help your child be emotionally and psychologically and mentally healthy So thank you, John, for being my guest and for teaching us so much this. You know, this time has gone so fast. Next time you have a book, you'll have to come on my podcast.
1: Let's not wait 10 more years. Like it feels like a long time. We'll all be in like hover cars and like we'll be living on Mars. (laughs) I'll be on. You'll be podcasting from Mars in 10 years. Yeah, let's uh, (laughs) let's let's do do it shorter next time.
0: All right. Thank you, John. Thanks for having me. Well, I hope you've enjoyed my conversation with John. Let's go over my points to ponder. One, listen carefully to the comments your child or teen makes about himself. You know, many parents are so used to hearing their kids criticizing themselves, whether it's their performance, school, how they look, etc., that they become desensitized to them. Don't do this. Be intentional about listening for specific negative comments your child makes consistently about himself. Then make a plan to help him reverse these. Two, help your child separate the tapes from his identity. Tell your child that comments are simply phrases that are wired into his mind. They do not have to be his feelings. Many kids' minds have rehearsed these phrases so frequently that they believe the phrases describe who they really are. In other words, the phrases have penetrated their hearts and psyche and defined them. So teach your kids that the tapes are words, not who he really is. Three, reassure your child that these tapes can be reversed. Help him attack them and empty his mind of them. Then help him replace those tapes with true ones. One of the best ways to help him do this is have him write down the specific tapes of the negative ones on one side of a page in a column. On the other side of the page in another column have him write down the counter truthful statements. When he sees the negative ones and the truthful ones side by side, he'll have an easier time reversing the negative ones. I wanna thank my guest, John Acuff, for joining me on the show today. You can find out more about John when you go to acuff, A-C-U-F-F dot me. That's A-C-U-F-F dot me. Be sure to follow John on social media as well. Just search for John Acuff in your internet browser. Now let's recap my three points to ponder. One, listen carefully to the comments your child or teen makes about himself. Two, help your child separate these tapes from his identity. And three, reassure your child that these tapes can be reversed. Friends, if you need help, encouragement, or answers to any questions about your kids or your relationships with them, go to meekerparenting.com. I have courses, tips, blogs, and more to help you. And while you're there, check out my brand new Strong Fathers, Strong Daughters Masterclass. And always remember that great kids are raised, not born.